0: Well, we come to Genesis chapter 19 and working our way through the book of Genesis now for the past four months or so. Genesis chapter 19. We've got a lot to cover here this morning, so we're going to go ahead and jump right on into verse 1. So Genesis 19, 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. So last week we looked at how the Lord and two of his angels appeared to Abraham as he sat at the door of his tent. And we discussed last week how the Lord At the end of that conversation, he went on his way and the two angels headed towards Sodom. Well, now these angels have arrived and Lot is sitting at the gate of the city, which means he has been appointed as a judge in this city. And we'll kind of talk a little bit more about that later. But very much like Abraham did when Abraham saw the Lord and his two angels, Lot greets them here, and he bows down with his face toward the ground in their presence. Other than that, though, you can't really say there's many similarities between Lot and his uncle Abraham, at least from the standpoint of their character. Lot was in many ways different from Abraham but we cannot say that lot was not a righteous man because second peter chapter 2 tells us as it speaks of lot and it states that lot was a righteous man but i really do want us to get a full picture here as much as we can of this man lot and i pointed out something to you a few weeks back but let's just take a few minutes here and um and look at the differences between lot and abraham i want you to Mark this page and turn back to Genesis chapter 13. I just want to kind of give you a comparison here of Abraham and Lot and just kind of the differences between these two men. Now, I just want to quickly point out to you that in chapter 12 and 13 of Genesis, you'll find that that it mentions four different times that Abraham moved. And each time that it says that Abraham moved, it's pointed out that Lot went with him. He was kind of attached to the hip to Abraham. Abraham truly cared about, a lot about his nephew, Lot. He was his brother's son, and Abraham's brother had died at an early age, so Abraham took care of Lot and raised him up. But as Lot grew up, he became his own man, and he had his own ways about him. And again, he was very different from Abraham in those ways, just his character, okay? Now, let me show you why I say that. Look down at verse 7 of chapter 13. So Genesis thirteen seven, And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the parasites then dwelt in the land. Now, if you just look briefly back at verse 6 here in this chapter... You'll see that it says now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. So this was the cause of the strife that was that we see occurring here in verse seven. Abraham and Lot were very wealthy. And they had many possessions and the issue of space or lack thereof has now caused the problem between the herdsmen of these two men. But let's read on verse eight. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. For we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? So Abram, who we now know of as Abraham, right, says, hold on a minute here. There's no need for this. There's plenty of more land out there. Let's not have any strife between us. Okay. And verse nine continues here. And Abram says, please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards the war. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other. So I pointed this out to you a few weeks back, but here we see the differences between Abraham and Lot. Abraham told Lot, you can have any of the land that you want it's your choice. You see, Abraham was a peacemaking kind of guy. He wasn't a greedy land grabber trying to get all he can in this world. Instead, he was a man of kindness who was willing to yield, willing to consider others as better than himself. But Lot, on the other hand, He was younger, obviously, than Abraham, not as mature, and therefore more easily led by the lust of his eyes. If it looked good to him, he wanted it, and that's the way he made his decisions. He didn't stop to think about all that Abraham had done for him in his life, in caring for him since his dad had passed away. He didn't think about saying, no, Uncle Aba, I want you to have it. I want you to have all the best of the land. You go ahead. You choose, okay? You see, Abraham, though, in this, represents a man of God. And Lot, though he is a righteous man, he represents a man that seems to be drawn toward the things of this world. And as a result, Lot ends up in a sinful and a wicked place, like Sodom and Gomorrah, where he ended up. So now, as we turn back to Genesis chapter 19... Lot is approached by these two angels, um, angels that have been sent to bring the destruction to this wicked city, a well-deserved destruction, right? The Lord didn't show up to Lot like he did to Abraham. Only the angels showed up here. Now, these weren't bad angels. They weren't angels that were going. They were just angels that were going to bring justice, a justice that was due to this city. Remember, God is not mocked, right? Whatsoever a man sows, that he shall also reap. And we're gonna see that in this story here of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's a fact that everyone must come to grips with. God paints for us a picture in the scriptures of how we should live and how we shouldn't live. We see examples of Abraham. We see examples of people like Lot. We see all kinds of different examples in the Bible, right? But Lot greets these angels. And in verse two of chapter 19 here, he says, and he said, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. So at this point, Lot just thinks that these two angels are passing by. That's why he says, hey, stop, and then you can go on your way. He thinks they're just passing by. So he offers them a little bit of hospitality here, but they say, no, that's okay. We'll just stay here in the middle of the city. We'll be okay. Verse three, but he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked them unleavened bread and they ate. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Now, if you understand our English word sodomy, you'll understand what the people of this city wanted to do with these two angels that are now inside of Lot's house. This is a wicked city, right? And who'd have thunk that we'd ever live in a time where sodomy has once again become acceptable to the masses. But judgment does indeed come, as we will see is the case here as we read on. But in verse six, so Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, please, my brethren, Do not do so wickedly. Now, verse seven there speaks so much to us. Again, Lot says, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. So we see two things there, don't we? For one, Lot calls them his brethren. These are his people, people that he fellowships with and lives amongst on a daily basis. All the people of this town are wicked, And yet Lot still calls them his brethren. Lot, that shows us that Lot has settled down in this land of sin. And whatever influence he might have had in this town, it really wasn't making too much of a difference on the town. But you know, we have sodomy in our day and age, don't we? It hasn't quite gotten this wicked yet like we're seeing here, hasn't gotten like this in our land. And pray to God that it does not. But we need to be careful that we do not become people who just accept the sin of the world. We can't settle down with it and live like it's just the norm, right? The norm is what God makes and what God has made, not what man has made in their lustful desires and such, right? And the lust of Lot's eye, again, that's what has led him to settle down in this place in the world. He wanted that. He went went after what looked good to him. But again, Abraham still considered Lot as righteous, right? Lot was in this world of sin. He lived in this city, but at least it does not seem that he was of that world of sin himself, right? Because why do I say Abraham considered him righteous? Well, because Abraham pleaded on his part, and on his behalf, and I'll touch on that here a little bit in a minute. But but again, it doesn't seem that Lot himself participated in all this, okay? And there's a verse coming up here where we will see that maybe Lot did speak up against the sin in this city. But with that in mind, right, the other thing that we see here in verse 8 is that Lot, or in verse seven, excuse me, is that Lot calls their actions wicked, okay? So he knows it's wrong. He knows it's wrong what they're doing and he does not condone it. He was indeed counted as righteous even though he was in the midst of this perverse city. But let's move on, verse eight. Lot continuing to speak says, See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and you may do to them as you wish and only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. So wow, this is a tough verse of scripture, isn't it? Why would Lot say such a thing as this? But in verse eight here though, we get a little glimpse here into the fact that Lot now knows why these two angels have come to town in the first place. He knows why they're here, because he tells these people outside the door that this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof, right? So in other words, Lot is telling these people that it's this type of behavior, the way you're behaving right now, this is what has brought these two angels to, to be under my roof right now. So how did he find out? Well, maybe during dinner, these angels shared with him, right? Remember, this was right before they were ready to to go down to sleep for the night, that all this started taking place. So this is a desperate time. And you can say that Lot resorts to desperate measures here because he knows that this is all about to be destroyed. But these wicked people weren't going to give in. And verse nine continues and says, and they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So that's the verse that I told you that was coming up that may seem to indicate that Lot did stand up against the wickedness of this city. They are upset with him because they say that he's judging them. And as I mentioned earlier as well, he sat at the gate of the city, which was an indication that he was a judge there as well. But it doesn't seem that the people had all that much respect for Lot though. And these people are deep into their sin, and they don't want to hear any different. They don't want to hear anything that anyone has to say about them. And you see, people that live in willful sin, they choose a lifestyle of sin, whatever it may be. They don't like to hear that what they are doing is wrong. They say, who are you to judge me? But you see, if you are a follower of the Lord, then you're a follower of the word of God. And, and if you are not a follower of the word of God, then you are not a follower of the Lord. And it is the word that judges It is the word that speaks the truth to us. According to 2 Timothy 3.16, it is the word of God that gives us our doctrine, right? It is the word of God that puts us in our place, that corrects us, that instructs us in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us. And people don't want to hear that, right? And if you believe in the word of God, they will hate you for it because It's not you, though, but it's the Word of God that stands in the face of their sin. Again, be that sin of sexual immorality, covetousness, envy, murder, evil-mindedness, backbiting, pride, disobedience to parents, the sin of being unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. In case you're wondering, all these things that I'm listing right here are, are found in Romans chapter one. So don't make the mistake of thinking that sodomy or this type of sin we're seeing in in Genesis chapter 19 is the only sin that God hates, right? There's all kinds of sin in this world. But God is the judge. And his word is where we find righteous judgment, right? And today, those that profess to be disciples of Jesus should behave like Abraham and and plead the cause of those that are lost inside of this world, like we studied last week. He pleaded on behalf of the righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah to save them, to get them out of there, right? And we live today in the midst of a perverse generation. Philippians 2.15 tells us, though, that in the midst of this perverse generation, that we should shine as lights. In the world, there should be a difference. There should be a distinction. Remember, the Lord showed up at, with Abraham as he sat under the tree in the door of his tent with his two angels. The Lord appeared and the Lord spoke to Abraham. But it was just the angels that were going to bring destruction that went and appeared to Lot in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. So as we stand before the Lord, we are to represent the Lord to this world and to plead for those that are lost in this world. But these people of Sodom here didn't like Lot getting in the way of their sin. That's what we're seeing here. He's standing in the way of their sin. and They're saying, stand back. And in verse nine, he continues and and says, so they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. So it's kind of crazy, but the blindness didn't seem to stop them from acting out in their sin. Weariness stopped them. They kept trying, but it was the weariness that stopped them. Verse 12, then the men said to Lot, right now, now these are the two angels, right, that are speaking the lot here. And they say, have, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Remember, that's what the Lord told Abraham last week when we studied in chapter 18, that he's heard the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah. That's why they were on their way there. But but the Lord didn't want to keep it from his servant Abraham, so he shared it with Abraham. We saw that in chapter 18. So Lot, verse 14, So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters and said, get up and get out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry saying, arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. Okay, so what we can understand from those four verses there, verses 12 through 15, that is. Well, first of all, the time has come. Sodom and Gomorrah will now be destroyed. Enough is enough. There is a final judgment coming upon the earth today as well. We know that as well today, don't we? There will be a time when God will say enough is enough and sin will be judged. And there is always uh, in these verses... That We see the opportunity for Lot to pull some people out of the coming destruction. And there's still opportunity for us to do the same. We must warn people that a time of judgment lies ahead and it's time to get right with the Lord. As was the case with Lot, sometimes though people will just laugh at you and think, you must be joking. This isn't gonna happen. You Christians been saying this for 2,000 years. You must be joking, right? Remember, how many people did Abraham ask God to spare when we got to chapter 19? Well, he started with a high, or chapter 18, right? He started with a high number, but he ended up settling on 10, on the number 10, okay? So most likely, I would say that Lot had 10 family members there in that city, three married daughters would equal six, two virgin daughters, and then Lot and his wife, that would equal 10. But the scripture really doesn't tell tell us that, so I'm kind of speculating on that. But it's just kind of interesting that he settled on 10, and we know that he's got some son-in-laws out there, and a couple other daughters other than the ones that, that live with him. But we do know that Lot and his wife had two married daughters, and He had two married daughters at least. And um, so this much we do know. But nonetheless, the sons-in-law of Lot laughed at him and they, along with their wives, will be left behind and will go through this final judgment because they didn't take it seriously. And today, there are a lot of people that just don't take it seriously. I believe there's a lot of people, even within Christianity, people that are maybe maybe are similar with Lot in the sense that they've settled down in a world they shouldn't be living in. They've settled down in a way of life that they shouldn't be around, and, they, and they're just not taking things seriously. And maybe the way Lot lived his life, maybe, why wasn't there more respect from his son-in-laws? Why didn't they just say, oh, Lot said this, let's do it. We respect this guy. He's a man of God. This is what he said. Let's go. But instead, they just thought it was a joke, right? But it's hard sometimes to realize that we have close family members that will not take the word of the Lord seriously, but it does happen. And people have their own choices to make as to how they will live. And it's just going to be Lot and his wife and his two daughters that live under his roof that are going to get out of here alive. And verse 16 says, and while he lingered though, right? It says, and while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand. These are these angels, right? They took hold of his hand and his wife hand hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and they set him outside of the city. So the Lord showed great mercy to Lot, his wife, and his two daughters here, because he had these two men slash angels forcefully take them outside of the city, because Lot was lingering, and there comes a time when you no longer can linger. Okay, I'm sure. Again, it's hard for them to. It was hard for them to know that their sons-in-laws, along with their other daughters, were not taking this seriously, but the time had arrived. And God had mercy on them and spared the four of them from the coming judgment here. Verse 17, so it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Don't look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, please, no, my lords, Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee, and it is it is a little one. Please let me escape there. It is a little one. That, or is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to them, or he said to him, See I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoor. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoor. So for whatever reason, at this point in time, Lot was afraid to go to the mountains. He was, must not have been much of a mountain man yet. I say yet because he will end up in the mountains. But the moral of these verses is that Lot and his partial family at this point have gotten out of harm's way. And these angels couldn't do anything, they said, until Lot was safe because Lot had the favor Of the Lord upon him. And remember, it was Abraham that pleaded for Lot before the Lord, that Lot would be saved in his family. And you know what? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is he not? God would not destroy the righteous along with the wicked back in those days, nor will he in the final judgment that is to come the followers of Jesus Christ, those that have been made righteous by his blood, those that have been saved through faith in him, we all will escape the judgment unharmed. But we are here on this earth now in order that, that we may warn others and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. To let them know that they too can be saved and to let them know that the coming judgment is no joke, even though they may think you're joking or you can't be serious or what are you talking about? That's not gonna happen, but it is. We know it is, because everything that God has said has happened and will happen. And it is a, a very serious thing. You see, many people today have grown cold to the love of the Lord. They really don't believe that the Lord really is going to return, or at least they don't live like it. But let me show you what the Apostle Peter said about this. Turn to Second Mark this page, and turn to Second Peter chapter 3. In the New Testament, the book of Second Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at what the Apostle Peter had to say about the coming of the Lord and the way people were reacting or or thinking about it. In 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8, he says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, pause right there, because I'll share with you something that the Spirit of the Lord placed on my heart many years ago in understanding this verse here. And that is, is that if a if a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day, well then how many days has the Lord been gone from the earth thus far? if a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day, well then the Lord has been gone a little over 2,000 years right now, so that would mean that on his time clock, not on our time clock, but on his time clock, he's only been gone a little over two days. We're right now in the third day on the Lord's time clock since the Lord has left the earth. And the point that the Apostle Peter is making here is that the Lord doesn't work within our time frames, right? He's coming back for sure, but it's going to be in his timing and not ours. But some today will mock the coming of the Lord and the coming judgment upon this earth. And verse nine continues and says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So how many people, Does God want to be saved? What's his plan of salvation? His plan of salvation is that all would come to repentance, that everyone would be saved because God is merciful. He wants people to get saved, right? He wants all people to get saved. He wants everyone to repent of their sin and to come to Jesus and to be washed from their sin in the blood of Jesus, And you know, you and me here on the earth today as believers in Jesus, in order that we might take the gospel, that's why he has us here. So that we would take the gospel to the people of the world in order that they might have the opportunity to be saved. How beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel, right? But no matter how far away that day may be, time is running shorter and shorter, but make no mistake, right? That that day will indeed come. And verse 10 continues here and says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Well, you see it says it'll come as a thief in the night it just means no one's, no one's expecting it, right? We have a blood moon coming up, right? And everyone's expecting something to happen right now, right? But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, okay? And you see, what happened all those years ago in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's a pretty good depiction of what will happen in the future here as well, Okay? Except the next time that a judgment comes, it's not just going to be two cities being judged. It'll be the whole earth that will be judged. And just like Sodom and Gomorrah will be burned up, as we'll see, we see that Peter says that both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up as well. Then if you look at verse 11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, in other words, since this is the case, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat? It's a long question, but the question is, is how should you be living How should we be living, right? But it's a serious question, isn't it? One that we must not take as a joke, one that we must take seriously. How should we be living today as it pertains to holy conduct and godliness? Should we be just blending in with the world around us and living the way they are living? Or should we be going through this life in a holy manner? The difference between Abraham and Lot. Of course, we know what the answer to that question is. So as we turn back now to Genesis chapter 19. Again, the time of judgment has now arrived for these cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And verse 24 says, then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So make no mistake, this is the Lord doing this, right? Verse 25, so he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. So this was a complete destruction. Not a blade of grass was left, right? Verse 26, but his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, if you look back at verse 17, at the second sentence of verse 17, we see the warning giving, given there that says, do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. And in verse 25 there, we see that all the plain was destroyed. And in verse 26, we see that Lot's wife looked back. You see, when you come to that place in your life where you've made a decision to come to the Lord, well, At that point, it becomes all or nothing at all. You are turning away from a sinful world that has destruction in its future. And you're turning to a living God that has eternity waiting for you. In the New Testament book of Luke chapter nine and verse 62, Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And there's another scripture in Luke 17 in verse 32. It is a three-word sentence uttered by Jesus. And Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Luke 17, 32, Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. And Jesus was talking about not looking back. He went on in that same chapter to say that whoever seeks to save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will preserve it. So you see, when God says it's time, and when the Holy Spirit has brought you to a place in your life where you've heard the word and you've heard the calling to come to faith in Jesus Christ, well, then you can't linger. You can't linger on in the world anymore. It's time, right? God, by His mercy, is trying to pull you out of this world and save you like we saw with Lot and his family. God, by his mercy, is trying to pull him out. And this is the message that must go forth to the world around us today because now is the time of salvation. The spirit of the Lord will not strive with men forever. There will come a day of judgment. And as we look now at verse 27, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like smoke of the furnace. Now, can you picture Abraham here? He had just met with the Lord and his two angels and prepared them a meal, washed their feet, had them come in and sit in his tent and everything like that pleaded on behalf of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah for the righteous people that were there. He gets up the next morning, he goes out and he looks and he sees all the smoke. He probably just shakes his head, goes back. What can you do sometimes? What can you do sometimes when people around you don't want to hear the word of the Lord, but yet you know what, what awaits them. You know what's going to happen to them. There's not much you can do. And verse 29 says, And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which the Lord had dwelt. So again, last week we saw that God didn't keep what he was going to do from his faithful servant Abraham. He let Abraham know what was going to happen. And this caused Abraham to plead on Lot's behalf. Today, you and me already know something too, don't we? We already know what the Lord is going to do in the future. We already know what's going to happen. We know what the future holds. We don't know when, but we do know what. And it's time for us to plead the cause for the lost that we have in our lives today. It's time for us to share it with them, even if they think we're joking, even if they laugh at us. We need to seek the Lord on their behalf. Many have died without being born again, right? But God is a God of the living, and we serve the living God. Think about that. God is the God of the living, and we serve the living God. So we must please to the living God on behalf of the living today in order that they may be saved and kept from harm's way. God remembered the request of Abraham, and he spared Lot and his family, as much of his family that he could get out of there, right? And remember, I said that Lot would indeed end up in the mountains, and verse 30 says, then Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountains and his two daughters were with him. He was afraid to dwell in Zor and he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. So there's something that we need to realize about Lot here. And that is, is that he has just lost everything. Okay, because remember, there was a time when Lot was very wealthy. His possessions were so great that him and his uncle Abraham had to go their separate ways because he had so much. But now he's lost everything. He's lost his wife, daughters, son-in-laws, right? And now he's down to living in a cave in a mountain where he probably still fears living. And all he has is his two daughters left. He's fearful of what life now holds for him. That would be my guess as to the way Lot's feeling at this point, right? And and, and as if things couldn't get any worse, verse 31, now the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old and there is no man on the earth to come into us as is the custom of all the earth. I read that and I say, what a stupid statement these young girls, this young girl just made. Oh, to be young and dumb, right? Not a man left on the earth, they said. They, they just left the city of Zohar, right? There were people living there, right? It, but sometimes, you know, you go through things in life and you react in that way. Oh, it's over. Ah, oh, it's done. Not another man on the face of the earth. Yeah, right. God's got bigger things than that. God is bigger than that. God is your God and he's greater than that. Right. It's not as if in this case here, all the people of the whole world had have been destroyed. But this is how many people make bad decisions in life today. Right. Oh, 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 I'll marry this guy, whoever he is, because I'm never going to find anyone else. If I don't marry this guy right now. I'm never going to find anyone else. Right. I need a new car. So I'm going to go forty thousand dollars in debt, because if I don't jump on this deal right now, a better deal's not going to come along than this. These are the kind of dumb decisions we make in life, right? All because we look at our circumstances and we look at the present situa- situation rather than looking at our God, who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. So instead of looking at circumstances, we need to look at God, or things like this end up happening in life, right? And you know what? It's hard to look to God when circumstances come crashing down on you. And it's also hard to look to God if your mind is polluted with the things of this world. And this these girls here, they were raised up in a polluted world by a father who had his eye on the world himself, right? And again, we see the contrast between Abraham and Lot. One man of faith, and the other, though considered a righteous man, he had a hankering, as they say, for the world, right? He kept his eye on the things of the world. So in verse 31, these girls plot out their stupid course here, right? Verse 32 says... um, Come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went in and lay with her father and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also and you go in and lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of, our father, then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him and did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name ben Ammi. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. So it's kind of interesting when you read the Bible, it's all right there. God's not, if this book were to be written by men that wanted to make something look pure and wanted to make something look good, it was made up story by men, they would keep this kind of stuff out. (laughs) They would keep this kind of stuff out of the Bible. They wouldn't put it in there, right? But if you follow the, the pages of scripture, if you follow these people, right, that are mentioned here, the Moabites and the Ammonites, right, you will find that they will be a thorn in the side of the Israelites for a long time. In, Nove- in uh, Numbers chapter 25, the Moabite women were harlots that were seducing the men of Israel. And the Ammonites taught Israel to worship Moloch and to sacrifice their own children. That would be the results of these people that came from this great plan of these two young girls. That's the type of people that would go on from there. This is the, the heritage of that incestuous relationship plotted out by the daughters of Lot when they dwell in the cave. This plan that these girls came up with was, I'm sure, the result of the influence of them living in a city like Sodom and Gomorrah right? Just don't think that the world will not contaminate you. And don't think that this world, that the influence of this world doesn't want to influence our children as well. The God of this age is Satan. And in accordance with scripture, he roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he uses the people of this world. He uses the media outlets of this world, the music of this world, the movies of this world, anything that's available to him to influence the children of this world to walk in the way of this world and to be lost for all eternity. But we see something written in the Old Testament here that is written for our learning, we're told. The Old Testament was written for our learning. So we can see, oh, there's Abraham and oh, there's a lot. Oh, there's a man that chose this and this is what he ends up with and there's a man that chose this and this is what he ends up with. One ends up with the promise of God being fulfilled in his life and what one ends up in this type of circumstance and in this type of situation. So again, there's much to learn in the pages of scripture. And there's so much that we need to take to heart. But we must guard ourselves from the love of this world. We must not be like the rest of this world around us. We must shine for the truth of the gospel. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we must realize that God has the ultimate plan for our lives. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows the end, I should say, from the very beginning. He knows every circumstance. He knows our every need. We don't need to plot our own way through this life. We need to trust in him. We've seen with Abraham too, right? And he tried plotting a couple different things, didn't he? You remember when we studied how when the famine hit, that they went down to Egypt and he plotted this whole plan with his wife, Sarah, on saying, hey, say you're my sister. Okay, And then we've seen him and Sarah come up with a a whole plot, a whole way to try and make the promise of God happen, but God didn't need their intervention. And look, God doesn't need our intervention in the way he works in our lives. He really just wants us to trust in him with all of our heart. And again, not look to the things of this world, but to look to the things of his word. To seek him first, above all else because look we know that there's been judgment throughout history we we can look and uh, you know like we've studied here right like we've seen today there's been this judgment that came for Sodom and Gomorrah for this wicked place that was lost and living without the leading of God And, and 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 they were not walking by any stretch of the imagination, walking in the paths of righteousness. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you and I were called to be people that walk in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And we need to, again, we just need to be sharing this love with the world around us that you have a testimony you have something that the Lord has done in your life you probably have multiple testimonies in other words you can share multiple things that the Lord has done in your life take the time to love somebody around you don't point a condemning finger at the world God didn't condemn the world he the Bible the word tells us that he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world right but so that the world through Him may be saved. Yes, we do know that a judgment is coming. Yes, we do know that people in this world, many people are far from knowing the living God. But we are to be His hands and feet here. We have the gospel. It's come into your heart. It has changed you. And if it has, then why don't you share this? Why won't we just take the time to share it with the lost around us? We know the truth. We know that everybody needs Jesus. We know that the world is full of many lies. But we know that everyone needs Jesus. We know that Jesus is the answer. You have Christ in you. And the world needs Him. And again, we, we know as well that judgment is coming. And judgment is no joke. It's no joke. Again, the world around you may laugh at you when you share the gospel with them, but there's also many, many people out there that are hurting, that are lost, that are turning to everything else to try and find fulfillment, to try and find peace. They're turning to the things that destroy them. So, take the time this week to find somebody to love with God's love. That agape love, that is God's love. Remember, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That's so powerful. God became flesh and dwelt among us to reach this lost and dying world. He doesn't want them to fall under His judgment. He's not willing that any should perish. But it's you and I who know Christ that must live Christ. We must show Christ to this world around us. Let's pray.